Hello, friends. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. Ashley's uh, doing some cool shit on his, his camera there. <laughs> yeah. Zooming in and yeah. out and spinning, making me sick. Um, I'm already sick. I have the COVID. <laughs> so if I sound funny Ooh. or I'm out of breath, that's why, folks. So uh, This wasn't going to be the next podcast published, but it is now because Spencer can't come over for a couple of weeks to record. So, But this is the inebriated reading challenge. And I can't drink for this because I'm sick. So that also sucks, <laughs> making mm. it more dreaded. Uh, with me for this, as always, because he loves doing these, is Ashley Hatter. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> that's uh, Yeah, that's a generous description. This is uh, my no, revenge doing... for House of Leaves that you recommended. Yeah, well, I thought you got me back with Catcher in a Rye over that one. So. Yeah, but that wasn't very long, and we did like two episodes on that. This is going to be 37 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Covering just the prelude. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and bring up the actual uh, synopsis, if there is one that's under five pages long for this. Yeah, I don't even know. Oh, come on. You, come on. Come on, bro. Come on. I keep spelling Jerusalem wrong. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> You're an anti-Semite. That's what you are. It doesn't even, it's not even the first Jerusalem. I got Jerusalem, a cookbook by Yotem something or other. Uh, and then like fit the other things. <laughs> so I have to type out the whole thing plus Alan Moore. Because apparently not a lot of people like this book. Or I don't think a lot of people read this book, honestly. I feel like this is one of those books that a lot of people have on their bookshelf or their coffee table. Kind of like right next to House of Leaves. Because mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I'm, I'm hip and cool and... I need to have this book, and I'm not actually going to read it, but I'm going to know everything about Alan Moore's life and philosophy so I can deflect and talk about him rather than the book. Right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say hip and so. cool are words that do not define Alan Moore, but I can see pretentious <laughs> people putting this on the bookshelf because look how girthy it is. It's amazing. It has a penis oh, on the cover. Mine, has, so a, mine has wieners on the cover. I don't know if you got the same. Does it? You got the ebook edition, so I'll zoom that in. Yeah. If you see up here, there's a. Oh no, I don't have that one. Yeah, I got the physical copy because I I needed to work out more, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, folks, if you have not read Jerusalem by Alan Moore, it is, uh, one thousand two hundred and sixty-six pages of pain. Or I'm assuming it's painful. <laughs> it's it started off painful. What is the longest book you have read up to this point? Because I because this got me. Thinking about some of the longer works I have, I read one Q84 by Haruki Murakami, which is just under a thousand. Uh, mm -hmm. Musashi, the famous samurai book, was like close to a thousand on this as well. Um, Spencer said he read it, which I well, he read all of Stephen King stuff, so a couple of those are touching to the you know 1100 or so. But th I think this is yeah. actually the longest book I'm going to read, assuming I read it all the way through. How many how many pages is House of Leaves? House of Lees was under a thousand, I think. Was it? Okay. Um, and also, yeah, you this, have to figure this... a good chunk of that was just nonsense that you didn't actually read. So yeah, <laughs> like it was like How there's pages know? that are just one word. I don't think that counts as a whole page. That's true. Yeah. That's, and like I said it's, before, it's the pages on here because well, you got the ebook edition, so you can't tell if you compare this to. I don't have like a normal size book. Um, I don't have this on camera for the folks. But, like, what a normal-sized book would be compared to this, like, the p actual page length, I think, is about one and a half. So, it's you're getting the, the one e and a half. version, you look at the, uh, like, I have entire, like, two screens full of one paragraph. 
and it's just going on <laughs> and on. I'm like, wait, oh. is is this a new pair? This isn't a new. Oh my god. Yeah, that's gotta Alan. be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to think, like, I because I just finished the winner of our discontent, so I I put that next to this book just to see the difference, and it's ridiculous. So. <laughs> if you have a 250 page novel you're reading what is that like fucking at least five of those almost just in this one book and at least yeah you but can you read five or six think, novels like, the writing style like it, i'm i'm reading um what is it it's it's some like light paranormal modern thing it's like an action romance thing that my wife wants me to read and that's like 250 pages, but I literally finished 60 pages in probably an hour and a half just because it's really light stuff. Yeah. But it's taken me, what, like five days now to read the prelude and then chapter one of book one of Jerusalem. It took me about... And that's like 70 pages. Yeah, I read oh the prelude's 40 pages. I just finished that, so that's about two days. And I mean, I haven't been reading that like solid you know, I tried to read just a solid hour of it. And I just, I can't focus on it. Let me read the synopsis here. This is, I don't even know if this is a fair synopsis, but this is what he has on Goodreads. <laughs> I'll try not to be out of breath reading these. Like I said, my lungs are not working well. <laughs> I got smoker lungs. Baking compare. Oh, this is already pissed me off. <laughs> Baking comparisons to Tolstoy and Joyce, this magnificent, sprawling, cosmic epic. Guardian by Alan Moore, the genre-defying, groundbreaking, hairy genius of our generation. Hairy genius, he had to throw that in. Uh, that's from, he is really hairy. Yeah, that's from NPR. The other quote was from The Guardian. Uh, takes his place among the most notable works of contemporary English literature. In Decane, all right, here's the actual synopsis. In Decane, Northampton, eternity toiters between housing projects. Among saints, kings, prostitutes, and derelicts, a timeline unravels second century fiends wait in urine-scented stairwells. Delinquent specters undermine a century with tunnels, and in upstairs parlors, laborers with, laborers with golden blood reduce fate to a snooker tournament. Oh, jeez. Through the labyrinth, streets and pages of Jerusalem tread ghosts singing hymns of wealth and poverty. They celebrate the English language, challenge morality post-Einstein, and insist upon their slum in Blake's eternal holy city and Moore's... Okay, I can't read any more of that. Yeah. That's, it, I mean, that's, 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 that's how the really book good, reads, though. Yeah, that's, that's what I was about to say. I was like, that's, that's really close to how he, he writes. It's, I was trying to describe this book to my wife, and I was like... Imagine somebody writing a noun and then writing a paragraph of adjective and derivative stories pertaining to that noun that don't actually pertain to that noun. I have like a so, <laughs> I have somewhat it's, examples it's of what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> I, I, this was, I think just from the first few pages, I took some examples. Um, we'll start off by saying how we're get, normally we try to make it so people can read along with us if they wanted. This one, we're just going to yeah. both read until we're sick, and then that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're not going to have chapters or page number listings. Like We're just going to read until we can't read anymore, and then whenever the week is up, we'll, we'll talk about what we were able to stomach. And we'll do that until we either finish the book or throw it in a fucking burn pile. Um, <laughs> and my, my physical edition will burn for quite some time. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it will. It'll heat a small house. Definitely. First things first, you immediately, because you started reading this before I did, were bitching about the initial dialogue because I'm glad he didn't keep with, I noticed he did not keep with this 
I don't know if he'll bring it back, but he tried to do like I guess how English people speak or wherever because this whole thing's about the burrows. It's like a love letter to where he grew up, which I there's so much over description of everything. I can't even understand really like what what part of England he's talking about, or like I just don't care. It, yeah, like the Northampton uh, area, I guess. I don't. I'm I'm guessing, and you know they take pride in the fact they being uh, typical people who live in. England, the the varying dialects and accents and pronunciations, and so I think he he's really trying to lay on thick the vernacular of that area. Yeah, but it's like holy damn. We open up the prelude with a dream, which you don't know it's a dream while it's happening, I guess. But then there's a dream within a dream, which I completely just didn't give a shit about. <laughs> there's so much in here, and again, I'll bring this up. I took spare, sparse notes here. But there's so much that could be said so quickly and easily, and he just drags on and on to the point where you just don't give a shit. But going back to the dialogue, here's just an example of the beginning dialogue of this book that just made me want to throw up. And I don't even know how I'm supposed to pronounce this. <laughs> so one example. Gore, you aren't a soppy date, Iralma. Ain't gonna urcha uni don't see people very often. Go on and I'll say hello or else it'll think we're rude. So maybe if you were English, you could actually give that the proper accent. But just trying to read that, like you have to read it multiple <laughs> times to try to understand like ent, E-N-T, is he isn't going to hurt you. It's ain't gonna urcha. Like, come on, that's not necessary. <laughs> Dude, you totally sounded like Rain Man having a stroke. It was amazing. <laughs> Ten minutes to Wapner. <laughs> so I I was completely out. Once I read that and that, that went on for a little bit, I was like, well, if this whole book is like that, I'm not going to be able to read this. I'm going to throw it in the trash. But it does go to normal uh, normal English because there is, he still, you know, has English slang and stuff in there, but it's normal, not whatever this was, hell was supposed to be. Um, this actually yeah. gave me awful flashbacks to H.P. Lovecraft when he would do that in his work. He would have, yeah. like, he would actually write out the accent of some hillbilly in the fucking Appalachian Mountains. And I'm like, oh, God, no, I can't understand what's happening now. <laughs> Stop it, Howard. I was glad it was It was essentially, or at this point, well, you haven't gotten to the first chapter. It's hell when you hear the angels start talking. Oh, um, no. But uh, it seems like that was specifically around what what was her Alma, Alma's Alma, mom. Yeah. So I was like, at least her children know how to speak semi decently. Like the rest, the rest of the dialogue, like you were saying, um, it comes across a lot easier to read, and based on the grammar and the layout of the sentences, it's mm. it's easier to be like, oh yeah, this is totally like, hey, what well, well, I'm British and <laughs> all those. <laughs> All of our British listeners are like, stop it. Oh, yeah. If they like, heard uh, how I, I probably sounded more Jamaican than anything reading that awful excerpt. But, <laughs> and like I said, well, I don't know. For you English listeners here, um, <laughs> we're very ignorant. Like, I don't even know. It was just only recently I realized the difference between the UK, Great Britain, and England. Like, I, I just assumed it was all the same fucking thing. It's not. They're all three different things. <laughs> um, so you'll have to forgive us. Uh, yeah, because we had Our Benjamin Cross on. No yeah, we had Benjamin Cross on from Wales, and I just assumed Wales was like part of England, but it's like its own country or something. I, I still don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. He sounded like Sean Connery, and that made me very happy. But that's completely south of Scotland, so it's not even close. <laughs> uh, that's besides the point here. Well, I guess I should give a synopsis of the prelude. 
It takes place when Alma's a little girl and Mick, that's what he goes by later. I guess he was Michael at the beginning. He was a baby. Their mom's walking down from what I gather, like a dark street. They end up in some kind of building where these, I assume, are angels or otherworldly beings are building for centuries this place. And then she's talking to them about some dumb carpentry shit or something. I don't know. And then Alma has a dream inside of her dream. And then later she wakes up. And then, yeah, pigeons. I don't know. And then in the it goes in the present day where Mick is worried that, because apparently the family has a uh, some kind of long history of insanity where it's called going over the corner, going around the corner, and then you just, I don't know, you're in a void of nothing and you go insane. Uh, he's worried he's, <laughs> that's where he's headed. So he talks to now 50 year old Alma and he's like 49. And they, uh, I don't know, they, they develop the characters a little bit here, but I don't like, well, you read chapter one or part of it or whatever. So you know better than I, but is any of that even important to what's really going on or? Because that was well, 40 chapter, pages, like, it was long <laughs> of a prelude. Chapter one happens, like, 150 years before the prelude. Oh, God. So, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, boy. And then I, I stole a glance, and uh, it looks like uh, chapter two happens, like, in modern day or somewhere in, like, the 1980s. Mm. So it's not even linear. <laughs> well, there's 11 chapters, I believe, of a kid choking on a cough drop. So we'll deal with that. And like I said, somebody said there was 40 pages of just like Finnegan's Wake type of nonsense. So again, I'm not looking forward to that either. Um, yeah. Uh, just going to the writing stuff. There were some things I like, but before we get to that, let's just shit on it some more. Um, <laughs> uh, too much detail. Even just like the way Alan Moore would phrase things just seemed pointless. For instance, like, and this was from, like I said, the beginning. I went with the easiest example I could find. Unsure of what to make her face do in response to this, Alma attempted a half-hearted grimace that came out as neither one thing nor the other, then looked around at Michael. Why couldn't he just say she grimaced? Because yeah. while on its own, that's not bad. When you couple that with, you know, you stack yeah, that over and over, that kind of stuff, then you get these big bloated paragraphs, and all of a sudden, a fucking 10-page chapter is 68 pages, or, you know, something like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it goes way too far a lot of times with, uh, in my opinion, with some of the descriptions. Some of it I get that he's trying to, like, add a personality and, like, an emotional history to, like, the town as they're walking. I, I don't even have a geographical map of, like, all these stupid streets they were walking down. Like, hey, Mine actually has a map street. in there. I actually have a map oh. in this copy that has all the streets that it just, for well, anybody buys a physical you know, copy. For, for us less, you know, sophisticated people <laughs> who have to imagine this shit, it's, uh, no, I, yeah, less sophisticated on my iPhone reading it in ebook format. Um, yeah, it's, it's like when, when it came to him using that exact same terminology in regards to the people rather than the geography or topography of the area, it came across as needless. But when he's like using, these really interesting descriptors or allusions to points in history to describe, Hey, this street or, you know, the church with the really weird docking bay thing halfway up that nobody knows why it's there. Like th that to me was interesting because he kind of alludes back to it every now and then. And it gives it, 
its own personality. But when it comes to the people, I'm like, dude, they, they already have their own personality. Yeah. Just like leave it at that. They're already alive in people. I don't know what you are, Alan, but most people, they don't need this sort of help. Well, with those descriptors, it, it can come off as a bit clunky. Um, yeah. Like I said, some of them work. And then, you know, with the, with the streets and everything and the history that he's uh, trying to show the readers who don't know anything about it. Like, I think that's pretty well done so far, but when it comes, yeah, like you said, when it comes to the people, you don't need to do all that. It's not necessary. Um, One thing I, I did like, um, and you kind of touched on it was the, when he was talking about the insanity, I liked his illusion of going down the street and there being like that unseen sharp corner that you go down and then you're immediately lost. I thought that was a really cool way of saying they've gone around the bend. Yeah. I I really enjoyed that. It was wordy and kind of a little bit of clunk, a little clunky, but I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's, that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, but, I mean, that, there was just like some good in- imagery with that, too. I like that kind of stuff. Um, I just I think that works better when it's not actually dealing with the people or even. Yeah. Like if you notice going through this, there's so many character like physical character traits he describes to people that some of them I don't even think are going to be in the story. It's like, why do we need this? It's not necessary. You don't have to go into every single detail. Yeah, it was, but I don't, I don't know. It's like, I feel like he's leading up to something when he's uh, spending that amount of, you know, time and that amount of wordplay. Cause you have to think he also worked with an editor on like, God forbid, thinking about how long <laughs> this thing was before yeah. the editor came along. <laughs> In other instances, like when Mick meets up with that uh, drug-addled boy later on who's, like, sprinting out and saying, my friends are at the pub, we're in the pub, and people are up in the eaves, and we're at the pub, and, like, making no sense. Um, I was like, okay, tell me more about this boy. And then he didn't. He didn't tell you anything, yeah. Uh, Dude, you just spent, like, three pages describing a cigarette butt lying in the middle of the street. Like, why? (laughs) Come on, man. Yeah, because I didn't even know what the fuck that kid was talking about, but I guess that's what you're supposed to feel is like the kid was just off his rocker. I don't know. Uh, Like I said, I really had trouble. I would read a couple paragraphs, and then I'd find myself zoning out, and then I'd be rereading the same thing. Like, oh, shit, I already read this. And I just that happened multiple times. It's just it's really hard to catch my interest here. Yeah. Well, going back like the the descriptions, um, instead of saying almost ugly, he – like here's just a quick example (laughs) – other than, and this went on for a lot longer than just this one sentence. Other than to her face, Mick would admit that Alma was what you'd call striking more than ugly, even at this late stage in the game. But then he goes on about how ugly she is, and I was like, why? Like, and it's not just the one paragraph. <laughs> like, it'll po- it pops up later too. Like her voice, or okay, I get it. She's ugly. You're trying to unravel that, but is that necessary to her character that much? I don't know. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've read that, and I was like, dude, just just come out and say it. But then I was like. Wait, maybe this is a British thing, like being, you know, beaten around the bush. You're not really going to say she's ugly because maybe it's a British thing. Kind of like, I, I don't know, the the Midwest area and everything. It's like, we're not going to come out immediately just straight to your face and say, hey, you're, you know. You're a ghoul. You, you're ugly. <laughs> yeah. You make me want to stab my eyes out with a piece of sharpened soap. Just mm-hmm. like, please die. <laughs> no, I mean, so maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's something like that. I don't know, but it was kind of comical. I found it. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, he he did um do a good job of just having some humorous details into what otherwise seems very bleak or just kind of like what would be boring. Dude, Though yeah. 
He also was throwing in some weird pop culture references that I just seemed out of place. Like he mentioned Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and I was like, "Does this have anything?" Yeah. Like, why are you doing that? That's weird. Because this is supposed to be like an um, epic. I don't, I don't know. That, that I found that strange. Really bizarre. He's done that I multiple like times. He, yeah, I felt like he took some like inspiration from the way Stephen King does it, mm-hmm. but he did it worse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, dude, like this that was kind of obscure, but uh, well, the thing about pop culture references is, is that immediately will date your writing. So, if you're yeah. sto- like saying, you know, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, well, that puts you obviously in the mind of the early 2000s, but how, how about 50 years from now? People might not even know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, if you're gonna, you've got to be careful when you're doing that stuff, like talking about a piece of technology. Or maybe someone like really iconic, like mentioning an actor or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that that makes sense. But even a, a well-known or well-loved video game, like honestly, I've never even played San Andreas. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm familiar kind of with the Grand Theft Auto franchise, but just vaguely. Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't know that and that's that, a, a did, good comparison. Didn't that have something to do with the uh, Mick not really like? He didn't like to drive or something. I think that's when that popped up. Uh, I didn't know what, what that was supposed to mean or what the point of that was. I thought maybe didn't he use it to describe the like the kid that he thought was drugged out though? Oh, maybe, maybe some, I don't know. It, it's all blending together. Like I said, there's yeah. m- there's many uh, parts where I just kept zoning out because it just didn't seem important. I just didn't care. It wasn't moving the story story forward. Um, maybe that was the point. Maybe it's a nefarious perhaps. scheme of his witchcraft. That's possible. I do like, like I said, though, the humor he had in here was good at a part so far. Like when he was describing their nickname, because both Alma (laughs) and Mick have the same nickname. And he described the history of their, how they, it's a wary or worry, I guess wary. Yeah. uh, W-A-R-R-Y. He talked about how they gave the name to each other when they were young as like an insult. And how over time it's become a term of endearment. But when people would ask him about it. They would say, oh, well, we both have the same nickname because, we, you know, we were too poor and that's all we got for Christmas one year. Like things like like he did that a couple <laughs> yeah, of times. That was pretty funny. That was hilarious. Yeah, like, so- I actually laughed reading that just because I could see the characters just like stone face going. Mm. That's all we got that year for Christmas. <laughs> oh, damn. That's like something I'd tell my kids, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like imagery and his overwriting. It's It's weird because some of the parts, I think it actually works or at least I enjoyed it. So, for instance, uh, uh, this was near the beginning, too, like maybe 10 pages in or something. She mocked her brother's fears for his own sanity as just one more example of his girlishness, his terror-stricken unfamiliarity with anything resembling creative thought. Your problem, Wary, is you have an idea and you think it's a cerebral hemorrhage. Listening to her spooling out impractical and transcendental picture concepts like a hyperventilating ticker tape, he felt the weight lift from him, floating in a sweet and putrid lager fart to dissipate beneath the starry, <laughs> vast obsidian pudding bowl of closing time, inverted and set down upon the burrows as though keeping flies away. I found that funny and I got the visual. Um, <laughs> but clearly that's very overwritten. But I felt it worked there. And if he would just do that more sparingly, I would have been okay. But when that shows up, like every paragraph, like, okay, I'm ready to clock out here. Yeah, it's um, you can tell he has a a flair for the dramatic for uh, poetic dialogue. I moved inside because it was freaking cold outside. So if there's an echo, I forget. I'm sorry. But um, you go in the closet, boy. Yeah, you go in the dirty closet and you talk in there. 
I'm never coming out of the closet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God, we're such children. Yeah. <clears throat> Serious. Uh, but no, it's, uh, I think, uh, I, you know, we, we kind of beaten a, uh, beaten a dead horse, but, uh, I do think that his, his descriptions are really good. They're just overused to the point that it's, it kind of, it, it can remove you from the flow of the story. Now, when, uh, later on there's more dialogue and, and direct interaction between characters, that like when, things up. yeah, Alma and Michael were, were talking in the bar <clears throat> And everything like that, I felt like the story like really picked up then because it was like people were interacting, there were flashes to history and stuff like that, but it was like something was going on. It wasn't just like this sort of ruminant moment of mm-hmm. like, I uh, let's let's look at the streets and talk about the cobbles and the way and like dude. I think that's another thing that like made it so hard to read is that it's so bleak. Yeah. Like there's so it's just like depression upon depression upon like woeful existence. I'm like, God damn, man. Like this is, uh, well, I kind of zoned out, but he did have like a whole part about like heaven and hell and not existing and just all this shit. And I was just, I don't even know what's going on, and, mm-hmm. but it was very bleak. And I was like, ah, oh, this is depressing. Uh, though I did get the picture of how depressing that, area in england is where he lived apparently it seems like it sucks so i don't know why he's writing a love letter that to was it. yeah that was that was a weird part because um it was just when michael was going down that one street i, I want to say like garden street or rose street or something like, i feel like it has something to do with the flower he lists like five billion different streets yeah <laughs> um but uh, it was like just when he was going down that that singular street, and then when he once he gets on the other side, he's like, "Oh, wasn't that weird?" And then just like goes to the art show. I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> okay, okay." Here's another part of just where he. I, mean, I don't we invest- We're not investigating. Okay. <laughs> um, here's another part where he could have just simplified things. This is when he was uh, Mick was talking to the the pub boy, uh, which I, like you know that was a very strange kid. That one of the few times so far that he just didn't describe the kid that much, but he goes to give the kid a cigarette. Seems like that should be pretty easy, right? You know, Mick pulled out a pack of cigarettes, opened them <laughs> up, and gave him a cigarette. No, this is how Alan Moore wrote that scene. Mick nodded, fumbling in his jacket for the brand new pack of fags he'd picked up half an hour back on the way down Barack Road. He peeled the cuticle of cellophane that held the packet's plastic wrapping place down to its quick, shucked off the wrapper's top and tugged the foil away that hid the tight-pressed and cork buzzbead ranks beneath. The crinkled see-through wrapping in one unwanted silver paper crushed to amalgam and shoved carelessly into mixed trouser pockets. Taking one himself, he aimed the flip-top package at the grateful teenager and offer and lit up for both of them using his punch-drunk Zippo with the stutter in its flame. As they both blew writhing, translucent Gila monsters made a blue-brown vapor up into the burrow's air, the boy relaxed a little, letting Mick resume his pep talk. Jesus fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm talking about. I didn't just even get the... <laughs> I was like, why Gila monsters? Like, why is that the descriptor? I don't know. Like, he's so many weird things. Like, the, the callous flap of the cellophane. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what? Like peeled it down to its quick. I'm like, no, you just unwrapped a freaking pack of cigarettes. Like, wow, it's dude. not that complicated. <laughs> That's like he just fell in love with his own writing too much or something there. And I don't. That threw me off when I read that out loud because I didn't realize when I read uh, 
read it originally. The Gila Monsters was uh, capitalized for some reason. So I guess Gila Monsters are proper nouns. Maybe it's a specific Gila Monster. Maybe it's somebody named Gila Monster. I don't know. That's weird. I just thanks I, Alan Moore for teaching us biology. Thanks Alan Moore <laughs> for showing us how beautifully you can open up a pack of cigarettes and why that's just and that like I said if that was just one part one scene that'd be okay but that shows up every goddamn page at least once like some mm-hmm. overwritten bloated nonsense like you could have just gave him a cigarette you didn't have to do all that seemed unnecessary <laughs> he like dumps half the pack in his hand and just gives it to the kid and be like hey, it'll be all right did he even ask <laughs> like, the kid okay. if he smoked or he just do that like <laughs> Well, yeah, he just he just like handed half the pack of cigarettes over to the guy. God, that's and weird. then he felt good because he did something nice. I was like, I don't I what? You just like helped that kid get, you know, a more intense case of tuberculosis. I don't know why you feel so good. Well, he did help the kid <laughs> uh he kind of exp- not really explain, at least not to me, uh how to get through the insanity that the kid was apparently going through at the moment with his friends in the ceiling of the pub or whatever and they're trapped and didn't say how the kid got out. Yeah. Didn't say if the friends were real or if the pub was real. It didn't explain anything. I didn't know what the fuck was going on there. Yeah. I don't I don't know that he actually helped though. Like Well, he even admits that. after the fact he's like, I don't think that helped at all. All it did was make it so he's gonna suppress the memory and then it's gonna pop up randomly and terrorize him for the rest of his life. <laughs> it's like okay. Yeah, it's like he just sounded like Brad Pitt from Meet Joe Black, meeting the Jamaican lady. Everything gonna be alright. Like, Everything oh, gonna be alright. That, that's all you have to say. <laughs> like, like, oh, okay, thanks, Brad Pitt. <laughs> that movie, I don't, I remember that scene was terrible. <laughs> it's like, can we reshoot this in 2021 and mm. see what people think of it now? <laughs> I really hope he doesn't have a Brad Pitt character from Snatch in this book because. Uh, like at the beginning, I got a bit oh of the pikey God. talk, like the way that guy was; those guys were talking. So I could imagine he would just write paragraph after paragraph of some fucking pikey making nonsense, rattling off yeah. about a caravan. I'm like, I don't care. This is stupid. <laughs> Periwinkle blue. I would say this introduction could have been ten pages, twenty if he really wanted to, you know, extend that dream scene at the very beginning. But all the stuff with him and his sister at the bar. And all this, the everything that came after, it did not need to be 40 pages of a prelude. That seems excessive. And I think the whole book's going to be like that. Obviously, by the girth, it's, uh, it's definitely overwritten. I, there's no way you can, you need to tell a story. It, well, this was originally three books, so maybe when he was writing it, it stretches out a little better than just this giant mass copy I have. That's That's what I was wondering, reading the, comparing chapter one of book one to the prelude is that the chapter one, it does have a lot of the same style writing, but stuff's actually happening. Like things are moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, A dude is like just messed up beyond belief by an interaction with like a painting and, or a fresco or whatever they're called. And just like, you you get a sense of like, you actually care about the characters. Cause I couldn't say at the end of the prelude that I actually cared about Alma. No, I cared a little more about Michael just because he seemed a little more normal, but it's like Alma was that kid in school that was just trying too hard to be different and cool because that would make her different and cool. Yeah. But it didn't. <laughs> uh, I think even Michael has a part where he talks about that exact thing. He just, she wants to be cool and different. He's like, yeah, you're not, they do insult each other a lot, which I like. Yeah. Um, also, just just so you know, there's a, also a 60 page afterlude. <laughs> oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So after you finish book three, you have a 
I don't think that includes the acknowledge. Maybe, maybe it's not sixty pages. Maybe the acknowledgments are long, because Alan Moore seems like he would have thirty pages of acknowledgments as well. I don't know that Alan Moore has thirty people in his life that he would be able to acknowledge. Not outside his orgy he group. He seems like really lonely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. No, I think you're getting about um, close to 60 pages, if not 60 pages of afterlude. So I don't know what that, that's going to be about, but I'm sure we'll have fun pretending to read it. <laughs> I'm just interested to see how many pages we end up skipping because I just some of the reviews and stuff for this book I've read, a lot of people said that uh, almost like when I read Moby Dick where you just end up skipping like 40 pages and you didn't miss anything because it was just useless garbage. Oh. Like just it didn't do anything to the story itself. Like I, the book I read before this one, before starting Jerusalem, was Oliver Twist, and Oliver Twist is also like a really dense book. But and I wanted to skip stuff, but I found like if I skipped a paragraph or even just skipped to you know you know the the description after a brief thing of dialogue that I had actually missed something. Yeah, and so I was like, God damn it! Now I got to go back and read all this shit and. It ended up being really good. Um, it definitely picks up the second half of the book. But if Jerusalem is, if you're able to skip stuff and still have it make sense, it's going to be like, I'm just going to have flashbacks to high school and just be like, why am I reading this? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's the point? Well, Dickens, even though he didn't find a fucking, you know, 10 letter word he didn't like, he <laughs> usually his every sentence mattered. Like, I mean, I, the only thing I read, like, novel-wise of his was Great Expectations, but that was, like you said, if you skip, you know, a couple paragraphs, you actually miss a lot. Alan mm -hmm. Moore, like, even in this prelude, if I skipped a couple pages, I don't think I would have missed anything. I, I mean, yeah. like, even when they were talking in the bar with, you know, Mick and his sister, I, that didn't seem like that was very important to me. Like, I mean, you got their, you know, their, their back and forth, but I didn't, I didn't feel it was necessary for, like, to, for the story, like. Could have been a couple paragraphs. It didn't need to be pages long. Yeah, and like I, I got the illusion to Mick having the near death experience where he was like choking for like ten minutes or something like that on a cough drop or whatever piece of gum or whatever he was doing and wasn't breathing. But then he came out all right and had all these weird visions or something, whatever. Yeah. But I was like, I mean, he just gave the illusion to that because there's eleven chapters of that scene. <laughs> they're gonna unfold later. So you I would imagine we're gonna get the full visions and everything that goes along with it, and also probably a description of every brick on the street that goes to the hospital. And like it's gonna fucking be terrible. I know it. <laughs> I don't know if I wanna do oh, it. Man. What have I gotten us into? And so far in the prelude and then chapter one, there's always an allusion to farting. So I'm interested to seeing if he like interjects farts into every single chapter. I hope so. That'd be the highlight I mean, of the book I for me. That'd be something you could build conspiracy theories on that. I mean, so based on the position of the fart within the chapter, maybe that has, you know. He obviously took some um, inspiration from James Joyce for this book. So I would hope that he would take <laughs> uh, some inspiration from James Joyce's fart letters to his uh, woman, his mistress, or wife, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and because I've never re read somebody make farts sound so uh, not just funny, but like enjoyable they were just they, they make you happy when you read james joyce's descriptions of farts uh so i hope alan, <laughs> alan moore has 37 chapters based on just you know fart descriptions i'd be okay with that that would, that would be a perk for me um because <laughs> i'm highbrow so 
Yeah. James Joyce challenging convention. Farts can be sexy too. That's the best thing about James Joyce is the literary snobs love to act like he was the, the best writer and they just really enjoy his work. Nobody really enjoys Finnegan's Wake, but they act like, you know, they enjoy it so much and it's so deep and you just had to be there, man. You didn't understand what he's trying to say. But the man also wrote about farts extensively. So <laughs> how you can't say he was like, you know, some top academic or something. I don't care what you want to bring to the table. You're not bringing farts like James Joyce is. A, a drunk Irish dude, which I guess is redundant with macular degeneration, writing about farts. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how highbrow you can get with that. That's like, <laughs> it's like a character from Monty Python at that point. <laughs> I do think that um, a lot of the wit and humor in this book might go over our heads because we are not English. Because Alamore, unlike a lot, even like a Neil Gaiman. Or uh, I guess Neil Gaiman would be the best example of like an like he writes about his home in England and stuff like that a lot, but mm-hmm. he writes for an American audience a lot of the time it seems. Whereas Alan Moore is just very proud Englishman who doesn't give a fuck if Americans understand his work. He doesn't care even if other Englishmen understand his work. He's just <laughs> yeah. uh, he he's just writing for him. I think so. That that's a big difference. Um, but it, he's I mean, writing to end the world. I think we'll still have fun reading this and at least get something out of this book, I hope. Uh, the worst thing is if it's just boring. That's what I'm worried about. I mean, so far, yeah. I wouldn't say it's boring. It's just uh, overwritten. Um, I could deal with that to a degree. Yeah. it's. I'm, I'm hoping that there's like changes in layout, changes in presentation or... You know, I because I really like his his dialogue and his exchanges between people and when things are actually happening. It's like... Uh, when he starts just essentially in the literary sense, just sitting on his duff and ruminating over things, that's when it's like, okay, dude, becomes a slog. Like it's a paperclip. Yeah. Um, like, a book this big, I, I feel like he's going to experiment a lot and he's going to have a lot of changes into the way he writes certain things. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be, I'd be interested to see if he goes into first person at some point or, you know, plays with the tenses. Like, I think he's going to do a lot of things in this book. Uh, if he just writes the exact same way that Prelude was throughout the book, that's gonna be that's gonna be a slog. That's gonna be terrible. But from what I've seen, the the length of the chapters that follow are like half the size of the Prelude. That's doable. So I I was like, I don't I don't see any of these chapters that are more than you know like twenty four, twenty five pages. Well, so since I'm on quarantine for at least a week, I. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and try to read like a hundred pages a day. I don't know if that's going to be possible. I, cause I tried to do that with the prelude and immediately just like read two pages, <laughs> had to take a break, read two, but I also feel like garbage. If I feel a little better and then I, I, maybe I could just take an hour or two out of the day and just really, cause I have nothing else to do. I mean, I guess I could write, but who the fuck wants to write? <laughs> Stupid idiots! Like you, no, you're gonna you're gonna feel good, and then you're gonna be like, "Well, why do I want to waste the day reading Alan Moore? I'm gonna go outside and you know run with nitro." And I could do a lot of things. I could do my laundry. I can fix the toilet or something. I can do anything. I don't have to read Alan Moore. I could. Yeah. Have you have you fixed your toilet? Is it, you got the hot water working for that? I or? I did. I fixed it that night because I'm stubborn. I uh, <laughs> it took some finagling, but it's uh, wonderful. Um, mm. And for anybody who hasn't listened to previous episodes, I got a fancy bidet. That's why he's talking about the hot water. 
because normally mm. toilets don't use hot water. But when you want to shoot water in your bum hole, you want to, you don't want it to be crisp and cool. Unless it's maybe it's like a <laughs> hot summer day, but I think you'd rather have a nice warm. Uh, though it can be, you gotta be careful because uh, if you put it on super hot, it's like scalding, and then that's bad too. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, me asshole is bleeding. <laughs> me arsehole is bloody. Yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> hopefully, the next time, uh, hopefully the next recording of this, I'll be well enough that I could drink something that's not a fucking water. I don't oh, know. So boring. Spencer said he was gonna listen, which I already know he's not going to uh, do what he said. <laughs> but he said he's gonna listen to our this these episodes and see. Oh, if it sounds interesting, I'll I'll pick up the book and read. He's not going to. I could say it right Liar. now. He's not going to read this book. He has no interest in reading this book. He's not even interested in reading the book he's reading now. So I don't want to. I don't want him What's he to. Reading now, Sleeping Beauties by Stephen and Owen King. He's been reading oh, that okay. for like three years now. I think he just keeps putting it off. Oh my god! It's uh well, he won't come out in a minute because it's like it's a bigger book. It's like seven hundred something pages. He won't come out in a minute, but it's like a fucking super feminist book, and I I just want to say the subject matter is probably boring to him. That's what I would think, because yeah. it seemed boring to me Like when I read the synopsis of it. It didn't sound interesting. It's like a world where women fall asleep, and then, I don't know, they're asleep, and men have to get on, getting on. I don't know. It seemed fucking weird. <laughs> I mean, it could be good. I don't know. The reviews I read for it weren't that great. They were usually around, uh, like, even was even a lot of, like, feminists who were read it. It was like, this was kind of boring. I don't, I don't know. It didn't do anything for me. <laughs> so, whatever. I mean, I don't have anything wrong with feminist literature if it's done well. It's just uh, that seems like Stephen King was like, or Owen King, I don't know which one came with that. It was just like, hey, what if women just fell asleep, man, and then they didn't wake up? What do we do? What would you do? I know what a lot of guys would do because they're creeps, and uh, that's a problem. So I don't know if that's addressed in the book. Jeez, oh, <laughs> a lot of people should be in jail right now. Uh, they definitely well, that got dark. Yeah, I got, got dark. Uh, I got I got COVID. I could I could be gross now and just say awful things. <laughs> DPW. I, got COVID, I can say morally <laughs> reprehensible things. DPW canceled. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens. You get COVID, you can just say reprehensible, awful things and offend everybody. It's a side effect. <laughs> like Roseanne when she took the Ambien. <laughs> well, that's what made me be racist <laughs> on the internet of the Ambien. It's a side effect. It was COVID. <laughs> COVID does the same thing, didn't you know? It makes you a fucking misogynistic asshole. <laughs> Trump had COVID for four years. What? Whoa, he invented it. <laughs> it's just the best. Um, anyway, so if you folks want to read Jerusalem, you can literally pick the book up and start wherever you want. I don't care. Just pretend you were caught up with us. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> if you want to read along with us, just start reading and hopefully you'll be where we are. We might get done oh. with this in the next month or two. We might get done with this in the next year or two. It's hard to say. Hmm. Slogfest. Slogfest. Uh, if you folks want to check out our fiction, you can go to drunkenpenwriting.com where we do have work up there. Uh, I have some submissions sitting. I'm sitting on that I should probably get to. Now that I have the COVID, I might do that because I had nothing else to do but my taxes, which I keep putting off. Um, <laughs> Jeez. If you, <laughs> I just don't, I just don't want to file it. It's just boring. I hate doing it. it. Sucks. If you folks want to follow us on the Twitter and see our saucy literary memes, it's at Drunk Pen Writing. Instagram, Facebook, Drunk Pen Writing. And if you want to see Ash do his ukulele covers of metal music on YouTube, go to Drunk Pen Writing on you. <laughs> That's the thing you're going to do, right? Uh, yeah. Ukulele covers. Of course. <laughs> Duh. <Yeah>. Duh. <laughs> While wearing a thong. 
I'm not going that far. Yeah, you said it's chilly out there. All <laughs> right. Demonetize. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks for listening, folks, and uh, we'll check in next time.